This is Bruce Friedman of Adult Site Broker, and welcome to Adult Site Broker Talk, where every week we interview one of the movers and shakers of the adult industry, and we discuss what's going on in our business. Plus, we give you a tip on buying and selling websites. This week, we'll be talking to adult industry attorney Chad Anderson, a.k.a. Chad Knows Law. Adult Site Broker is proud to announce Adult Site Broker Cash, the first affiliate program for an adult website brokerage. With Adult Site Broker Cash, you'll have the chance to earn as much as 20% of our broker commission referring sellers and buyers to us at Adult Site Broker. Check our website at adultsitebroker.com for more details. First of all today, let's cover some of the news going on in our industry. In response to escalating concerns over coronavirus and new travel restrictions, XBiz has announced plans to go virtual for its 2020 conferences, including XBiz Miami, XBiz Berlin, the XBiz CAM Awards, and the XBiz Europa Awards. XBiz Miami will take place August 24th to 27th, with the XBiz CAM Awards happening the final day of the show. XBiz Berlin will be October 19th to the 22nd, and the XBiz Europa Awards will also happen the final day. XBiz Events Director Mo Helmy said, After careful consideration of various indicators regarding the development of the worldwide COVID-19 health crisis, we've determined the most responsible decision is to pivot to a virtual format for our 2020 events, with the goal of delivering the signature show experience our community is accustomed to. Event organizers have closely watched day-to-day developments in the trajectory of the pandemic and various official responses, including continued stay-at-home directives from state authorities and the Centers for Disease Control. With the recent reports of COVID-19 cases spiking up, it became clear organizers would be unable to safely host the events. Other shows, such as the AW Summit, Webmaster Access Amsterdam and Why Not have also had virtual shows. The Why Not Summit will premiere July 20th through the 22nd. A New Jersey federal judge on Tuesday overruled a circuit court ruling preventing Vixen Media Group from identifying alleged illegal downloaders of their adult content. The new decision by U.S. District Judge Noel Hillman granted the subpoenas requested by Vixen to allow them to identify individuals with computers associated to 13 IP addresses allegedly downloading their content illegally. According to the legal news site Law360, Vixen monitors for IP addresses that download its films, then use geolocation technology to figure out roughly where the network is located. It then files a lawsuit in the appropriate district against anonymous subscribers linked to the address, allowing it to request a subpoena to force the Internet service provider associated with the address to reveal the name of the subscriber. The company's lawyers have filed more than 3,000 similar lawsuits across the country since 2017, receiving criticism from some legal observers and judges about their tactics. The Arizona judge overseeing the criminal trial of of the former Backpage.com owners has granted a motion by the defense to move the trial date to January 2021 due to the concerns regarding the COVID-19 health crisis in the state. 
U.S. District Court Judge Susan Brnovich filed a ruling yesterday stating that the court feels that it cannot ensure the health and safety of all trial participants at this time. Judge Brnovich cited the number of people expected in the courtroom for the high-profile trial as one of the reasons for the postponement until next year. At a minimum, the judge calculated, there might be 40 people in the courtroom, including prosecuting attorneys, defendants, their attorneys, and jurors. The judge also mentioned that compelling out-of-town witnesses and lawyers to travel to Arizona during the current pandemic was fraught with risk. The trial, originally scheduled for May 2020, had last been postponed in February until August 17th. Now let's feature our property of the week that's for sale at Adult Site Broker. We've reduced the price on a network of two-foot fetish pay sites. The first site is an all-tickling fetish site with every category of tickling. The primary focus is female-on-female tickling. The second site has forced orgasms as well as hand jobs, all with a fetish twist featuring showing of feet in the videos. The hand jobs are more taboo female domination themed. There are also a number of highly profitable clips for sale stores as well featuring the content. The most profitable of those stores features foot worship. Some of the stores are top 50 in the world in clips for sale, and one has been as high as number four in the world. Since the owner has never built out a foot worship site, but has plenty of content for one, this is a wonderful opportunity for a new owner. Also, the owner has never advertised the site or started an affiliate program. A new owner could do both and instantly boost sales. The company has over 11,000 videos in their content library, all exclusive. Also, since the owner has been out of the day-to-day operations of the company for some time, a new owner will have the opportunity to keep on the current people who are operating the network, so there will be no interruption in the new owner's ability to get content. Now time for this week's interview. Today on Adult Site Broker Talk, I'm speaking to prominent adult attorney Chad Anderson. Chad, thanks for being with us today on Adult Site Broker Talk. Oh, you're welcome. Truly an honor to be here, Bruce. Thank you, sir. Here's a bit about Chad and his law practice. He was the youngest person to win a county attorney seat when he was elected in Iowa in 1998, and now he specializes in adult business law. I would list the categories of law he practices, but I don't have three hours. So let's just say that if you have a legal need in the adult industry, Chad can handle it for you. He is licensed in Arizona, Iowa, and Nevada, and has been admitted to the 8th, 9th, and 10th circuits and the U.S. Supreme Court. Chad is a Midwestern boy born in Minnesota, raised in Iowa, and he graduated law school in North Dakota. He earned a master's degree in cybersecurity law from the University of Maryland School of Law, and he's run 21 full marathons, which is 26.2 miles or 42 kilometers. Better you than me. I think he should have learned to take the car by now. Uh, He's been practicing law since 1998, and he's been an adult since 2004, which makes him an old dude. Chad's mission is to provide the best representation in a confidential and affordable manner to a select group of long-term clients. And let me also say that Chad has been doing some work for our company, as well as some clients and associates of ours, and I could not be happier. First of all, Chad, how did you get into this crazy business? (laughs) 
Oh, that is a that is an interesting story. I was a really a starving lawyer back in 2004. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I left Iowa for Arizona, mostly because it snows in Iowa, and um, I really wanted to move south. And also, it was the time that I came out of the closet, and I felt mm-hmm. much safer um, in a big city. In Arizona? But, yeah, it's much safer than Iowa, even where I was the county attorney. And <laughs> I had, you know, I had the entire um, police force, the the sheriff's office, all the law enforcement were actually underneath me. Mm-hmm. So, so to speak. Um, <laughs> so to speak. But I, I took the exam in Arizona and passed it and mm-hmm. moved here without really having any plan of how to make a living after that. Mm-hmm. And um, I did a couple of years with a real estate title company, which was just excruciating. Um, boring. <laughs> oh, it it was awful. Just reading contracts and writing contracts that were truly just the the driest stuff you could do is buying and selling real estate. But I was at a at a barbecue. A friend of mine mm-hmm. um, had a neighborhood barbecue, and his neighbor happened to be a fellow by name of Craig Tant. Oh, and yes. Craig. Craig had been um, at CC Bill. Right. Well, Craig, you know, I told Craig that I was, you know, basically a starving lawyer, and he asked me if I would be willing to take on adult entertainment clients. <laughs> I, and I told him, you know, if if it can pay my electricity bill, I, I certainly will. <laughs> so he said, "Come to Miami. There's this trade show down there." Nice. And <laughs> three weeks later. Um, I maxed out my last credit card to buy my airplane ticket. Um, I got a hotel room a couple of miles from the diplomat and it was one of those old hotels had been built like right at the early fifties. And I think the original air conditioning was still in it. It was just this two bit sleazy dive that was 25 bucks a night, but it was all I could afford. (laughs) (laughs) And, Wow, the first it was um, summer internex in in Miami in two thousand four, mm-hmm. and being a lawyer, I guess I was the only openly gay lawyer as far that was looking for new clients. Sure, and I was introduced to just it seemed like everyone. I know, yeah, it was overwhelming. Um, and within three months of that trade show, all I did was adult. Mm-hmm. Um, I left. I left this this small small firm that I had been working at, and Yay. really not making not making anything. But the adult entertainment industry really, um, you know, it welcomed me, mm-hmm. and it, it was it it does. You know, everyone is welcome here. Yep. Um, well, until you're not. You're, mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, you're you're given the opportunity. Just don't fuck it up. Well, that's yeah, and that's exactly right. Because if you if you screw up, then <laughs> bye bye. <laughs> well, you know, I grew up in a small town, and mm-hmm. working in the adult industry reminds me a lot of working in a small town because everybody knows 
everybody. Kind of reminds me and, of high school, actually. But anyway. Well, well, actually, maybe junior high. Yeah, with, more, the, more with, like that. With some of the antics. Um, but it was that, you know, that that's how I got into it. And it didn't take very long to, you know, kind of get established and um, and build reputation as being, a, you know, an honest lawyer, which sure. was kind of surprising. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Are the, do, those, yeah. do those two words go in the same sentence? <laughs> Normally, no. So when you hear them together, you got to. You gotta... I'm kidding. I'm kidding because I know that's the case <laughs> working with you. So. Yep, but you, you always kind of got to play that tape back. Did he really say honest lawyer? Honest lawyer, yeah, the biggest oxymoron of all. <laughs> military, well, military, military intelligence, right? <laughs> you know, it's the 98% of lawyers that give the other 2% of us a bad name. Exactly. So what are the economic advantages of producing and living in Las Vegas over L.A. these days? Oh, um, Las Vegas, Las Vegas has some surprising advantages, mm-hmm. and I, I no longer live there. I did live there for almost two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, passed the bar exam there in 2017, which, which was uh, well, 20 years, almost 20 years after my first one. Mm-hmm. And God damn, that thing doesn't get any easier. Two and a half days long. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's some things about Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. One is that you know everyone says they they don't have state income tax mm-hmm. but and that's true there isn't a state income tax but the state generates money mm-hmm. and it through taxes and it's either through sales taxes property taxes um nevada gets a lot of money from hotels and casinos oh yeah, oh, yeah. But, you, but you still pay property tax you still pay sales tax it's you know sure. that's a little higher there mm-hmm. Um, but the overall tax burden is lower than California. Mm-hmm. And one of the things about Las Vegas that you don't think about at first is if you have a business where you fly models in, that you're actually doing photography and filming of models from around the country, Las mm-hmm. Vegas is, one, is, I think, the cheapest place to fly in and out. Hmm. And there is there's a direct flight to just about every city in the country to Las yeah. Vegas. Yeah. So if you've got you know if you've got a model in Minot, North Dakota, there. Well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Where? I'd say Minot, North Dakota. Okay. But you know, if well before Corona, there was a direct flight from mm. Minot to. Um, Las Vegas. There's a, you know, every little podunk airport had a flight to Las Vegas. So Mm -hmm. wherever your model is, you can bring that model in on a direct flight into Las Vegas. That's a Mm -hmm. lot cheaper than if you flew that model to Los Angeles or San Diego or even Miami because of all Mm -hmm. the the casino and tourist traffic. So your, your, your costs of bringing models in is actually quite a bit lower in Las Vegas. And then um, the attitude towards adult entertainment, not just legally, but the business attitude, you know, going with a realtor Mm -hmm. to look at office space, (laughs) um, you know, usually 
you want to avoid that question of what do you do? Yeah. And you, know, you don't want to tell the realtor that, you know, you're an adult entertainment company because sure. sometimes that, that is met with, well, we don't want you here. Yeah. In Las Vegas, you tell your realtor you're an adult entertainment company and they ask you if you want studio space as well. They do not care yep. that you're an adult entertainment company. And in fact, sure. they're willing, ready and able to help you build your business. Oh, yeah. So, you know, there's a, that, that anything goes in Las Vegas as long as you're paying the bill. Yeah. Yeah. That's you know, true. that attitude, that attitude is unique and you don't find that in a lot of cities. Sure. Sure. And of course you got the condom laws too. Yes. There, there are very few laws in Nevada. <laughs> Period. <laughs> <laughs> Period. You know, you can you can buy you can buy marijuana 24 yep. hours a day at a dispensary in Las Vegas as long as you can fog a mirror and you got an ID that says you're 21. Yep. Yep. Uh, oh God, those dispensaries are everywhere now. <laughs> Going to Vegas this time because it had been years since I had been out there. You know, living out in Asia, I hadn't really had any purpose to go until I came out for the shows this year. And I was just blown away. These places are massive. Yes, and there, there's there's some that are just a, they're an entertainment, just going to the dispensary. Yeah, um, you know, they've they've made it an, an event. Is you know, your whole experience in Las Vegas is entertainment. You know, right. People fly in there for to do things that they wouldn't do at home, and going to the yeah. dispensary is one of them. So it's a it's an experience. And I, you know, I remember standing in line at a dispensary and behind me was this group of women. They were probably, they were all in their seventies and they were giggling and you, you know, they were talking about how they'd never tried marijuana before. They were, they were probably giggling because <laughs> they were high. <laughs> no, they, they weren't high yet, but they were from Kentucky. So they kind of had that little Southern little drawl twang to them. And it was so cute seeing these old women that were about to try marijuana for the first time and how excited they were. And did they tell, did they tell uh, Mitch McConnell about that? I hope they do. Or I hope they did. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I, I love seeing old women that are, you know, are no longer, no longer afraid to do what they want to do. They've, hey, they've hey, learned man. to just live the way they want to live and have a good time. There you go. So how can an adult business, and we've heard a lot about this in the, in the, in the media, how can an adult business qualify for PPP in the United States? Well, actually it's easier to say that there's no reason that disqualifies them. Mm -hmm. uh, there is no exclusion to adult entertainment businesses. There's, okay. There is an exclusion for businesses that are obscene, <gasps> but, God. but, oh, gasp, but adult entertainment is not obscene. And, and legally, the definition of obscene is, you know, appealing to the prurient interest. It's, it's, uh, it's not regular mainstream adult entertainment. Obscene, right. the things that usually you have to get to the level of scat before you get to obscenity. Hmm. Um, you know, and in the in the prosecutions against obscenity back in the 
what do we call the mid 2000s the aughts um <laughs> you know, sure so, sure why not <laughs> back in the aughts you know and, and the department of justice brought an obscenity charge against uh, actually an arizona company mm-hmm. um for obscenity and some of the dvds that they were that they were claiming were a were part of this obscenity suit were ones that you could buy in the airport. You know, they were, um, the and, and in the airport, well, <laughs> you could buy just about anywhere. Um, but it, it, one thing that was really funny about that, uh, not funny if you're a defendant, but that through bankruptcy, um, there was a adult bookstore that had gone bankrupt and, it was being it was owned and operated by a trustee, so it was being owned and operated by a you know, U.S. bankruptcy court trustee. Mm-hmm. It was being run by the government, um, and they were selling the same DVD. That oh, that's the, funny. That the Department of Justice was prosecuting um, a distributor for. So, um, but what was obs- you know what was obscene? The only thing that they found obscene is is scat. Usually, um, typical fucking, not is is not obscene. So most adult companies are not dealing in obscenity, so they're not precluded from applying for the payroll protection program. They are qualified. Bottom, bottom line is they're not doing anything illegal. Right, um, and when we've seen in tax credits. Um, like, say, for Georgia, for example, has tax credits if you film uh, movies in Georgia, but they exclude anyone who is uh, subject to 18 U.S.C. 2257. So if you have to file 2257 or if you maintain 2257 records, then you're not qualified for the Georgia tax credit. And most state tax, most state tax credits are like that. But the PPP does not have that exclusion. And that that is a way that they could have excluded adult businesses, mm-hmm. but they did I'm, not. I'm kind of surprised that hasn't been challenged in some of the states. <clears throat> or has it been? Um there have there are two cases I know of, and both of them um both of them ruled in favor of the adult entertainment company. Good. Yeah, you know, one was a one was a strip club in Wisconsin. Uh, I heard about that. So the adult entertainment companies are qualified and there have already been court decisions that have said so. So it may be a little late to get into the PPP right now, but there's no reason to not apply. Okay. You know, it does require you have to have, you have to have some documentation and you have to provide, Mm -hmm. um, you have to provide your tax returns. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, which they already have, but right, you need to show that you had certain, pay, you know, you had so much payroll expense, so much interest expense, and it's actually quite a simple. Um, it's a simple procedure to mm-hmm. file that. Yeah, uh, one of my buyers, one of my buyers got some. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think the he hardest got, thing he got two rounds, but actually, oh wow, well, good mm-hmm. for him. Yeah, I think the hardest thing is just getting the records together. If you've got a good accountant and have all your stuff in order, it is fairly simple to apply, qualify, and get the money. 
Okay. So right now, obviously, trade shows with the whole virus situation have gone virtual. Businesses most certainly changed. Uh, for one thing, nobody's shooting. How is this affecting your business, and do you feel the industry as a whole? Um, well, my business, I've I've got a you know a small collection of clients I work with, so it hasn't it hasn't had a real negative effect on me at this point. Good. But I think but I think going forward, it it certainly would if those you know if those events. Um, if it you know if it's another year and a half or so before we get to go to those, and I think even then, there will be fewer people attending them, just yeah. because you know they found out they didn't need to attend them, and still got you know fifty percent of what they wanted to do done. So it changes the economics of going to trade shows. If you've mm -hmm. figured out how to how to get most of you know the benefit of a trade show out of virtual experience but boy there is there is nothing like actually meeting someone in person and i to, agree you know to to get to know them and to build trust and it, sure. you know back to you know the industry being a small town mm -hmm. this is how you get to know the people you work with as you meet right. them face to face yes um, and there is no way that you can mingle in a, in a in a chat room the same way you can at uh you know a mixer or a club when you're at a trade show you just don't get you don't get introduced to people mm -hmm. you don't you don't meet new people it's you you can't do a virtual trade show and expect to get a not a, a lot of new contacts or new customers new clients new new whatever whatever you're looking mm -hmm. for it's it's hard to do that online yeah understood how about so, the industry as a whole? From what I understand, the membership-based programs have seen a pretty healthy bump up in revenue. Yeah. But at the same time, they're struggling to figure out how to film yeah. because they can't get shoots in, you know, talent testing. Um, I mm -hmm. think... I think talent testing now in the in LA, Las Vegas, Miami is testing for COVID. But I'm that that don't hold me to that. Um, but being I, able to I, I understand. Test, I understand. Yeah, I understand they are. Yeah, but you know, just being able to test and get your models cleared, that's right. an issue. Getting your getting and if you're if you have to fly models, getting right. a model on an airplane, um, you know, the Instead of having 25 flights a day to a city, there's one. So trying to schedule trying to schedule models has, has got to be got to be extremely hard right now. Sure. So sure. the money's out there because the customers are all online and at home and nothing yeah. to do. Yeah, and, but 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 my question my here's a question for you, and it, it's kind of uh, kind of rhetorical. With all these people out of work, um, don't you think that that could be short-lived? Yes, I do. I think, you know, people that are out of work, maybe these, you know, that they've gotten, you know, they've gotten their stimulus check, mm -hmm. uh, or or haven't been let go yet. Right. Uh, they 
they may be, you know, one or two months that they're going to be paying for a membership. Um, but if their unemployment lasts much longer, they're, you know, that they wouldn't renew. So right. I, I think there, you know, there might be, there might, there should be a fall off. Uh-huh. And usually we see a fall off about this time of year anyway, is yes. college students go, go back home and start going outside more. Well, that might not be the case as much this year. It may not. Yeah. So, so it's, could, it's gonna, so that could so that could be good. Yeah, it's you know it's it's a crapshoot. We really don't know how things will affect mm-hmm. our business or or any other. Yeah. You know, it's it it you would expect. Kind of, I would say prepare for a downturn, and if you don't have a downturn, great. But if you're prepared for it, at least it won't kick you in the ass. Yeah, save your save your nickels. So, yeah. um, so speaking of trade shows, uh, and you and I have both been to quite a few, including some together. Talk to me about some memories you have about all those shows. What you can remember, anyway. Because <laughs> uh, you well, used to, because you used to indulge. <laughs> well, you know, I actually I quit drinking before I. Um, before I got into the adult entertainment. Oh, business. I didn't know. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Okay. Well, yep. I guess, I guess you do remember then. Okay. You're the one, you're the guy, that, you're the guy. Well, that what did I do? I, then? Well, now my first trip to Amsterdam, there's definitely some parts there that, that, uh, that <laughs> didn't get, it didn't get recorded. <laughs> yeah. I hear you. <laughs> I, I gotta remember my first time, and I think it was it was at a Marriott, or I think it was a Marriott, and right across the street was an old a church that had been. Um, it was no longer a church, but is now used as uh, the hotel's convention space, or it was, and and the trade show was there. Um, and of course, we didn't get invited back to that one because you know <laughs> we <laughs> used and abused the church, but yeah, boy, there was there was a. Kind of unholy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was a party in there that was uh it it would have been unholy had I been a Christian. Uh, <laughs> Amen, but, brother. But uh and I remember the back in two thousand five there were a couple of studios that got together um and I think CC Bill was, yeah, CC Bill is definitely part of the sponsorship, but ran the Rocky Horror Picture Show at the theater on in downtown Tempe. Oh, and I'd ne- I'd been to Rocky Horror, but had never dressed up before. Oh, and, no. and there was going to be a three hundred dollar prize um, for the costume contest. <laughs> I decided I was going to win it. Uh oh. Um, so I actually spent over $300 on the costume. I'm sure you did. (laughs) You know, I got a wig. I had the wig styled. I got a makeup artist. I had, uh, a a friend that had been part of Rocky Horror Show production for many years. So he knew Hmm. every little detail that I needed about the costume. Boy, that, I, I think I nailed it, but, um, it's, I think, the only time I have dressed in drag. <laughs> I was gonna say I was gonna say that was probably a uh, a primarily gay event. 
Um, uh, it was it was hella gay. Let's see. <laughs> <laughs> the thing, but there, the, show, the show that I the show that I remember on Phoenix Forum, man. Oh God, I miss it. Um, I think they picked a I think they picked a good couple of years to lay off the, um, but uh, or a good year to lay off because it would have probably ended up being canceled. Um, yep. maybe, maybe next year they'll be able to bring it back. That's my hope. But I remember when they had the heart attack grill. Did you go to that to get that event? Um, I did not go to that one. Yeah, well, everybody went to dinner at the a bunch. Probably thirty of us went to dinner at the heart attack grill. You ever been to that place? I have not. It's it's not well, made for right. people that's my right. size. That's right. You're a vegetarian. I forgot. Um, oh my God, it's gone now. But oh Lord, that was a good time. <laughs> that was a really good time. A couple of their regulars were in there. Well, and the the um, the afternoon parties at Hooters, there oh, yeah. downtown. Oh yeah, yeah. Sad, sadly, one one girl fell from uh, the the balcony at one of those parties. Um, yeah, that was. That was tragic. Wasn't there, fortunately. Well, it's funny yeah. because my wife, my wife's favorite food in the world are Hooters wings. Um, mm. and you, you look at her; she's a little Thai girl, and it's like, it's like, it's like, really, wings at Hooters? I swear to you, when they'd have Hooters happy hour, she would be the first one there. <laughs> Wouldn't wait for me. She would just be, she would just oh. be there eating wings. It was pretty hilarious. So business has now gone virtual as well as the shows. And uh, how are you doing using Zoom and other forms of online conferencing with your business? Um, most of what I do is written anyway. So sure. it hasn't changed the way I work very okay. much. You know, I've, I've worked out of my house for most of the last 15 years. So this hasn't changed my business very much um other than i don't leave the house hardly at all and, <laughs> um, i think yeah that that has that has been strange yeah when i was working on my master's thesis i think i spent three weeks without going out of the house but um oh. you know now it's now it now not leaving the house um it, it's just endless it's scary in the states, man. I got to tell you, fortunately, Thailand has all but eradicated the thing. But uh, God, I couldn't imagine being in the states right now. I'm glad we got out when we did. Yeah, you are. I think Thailand has definitely gotten it. They definitely have it under control. They or oh, at least figure out what uh, to do. Yeah. Well, it's called it's called good governance. It's called, it's called it's called having it's called having a former uh, former military man as the leader of the country. Well, and and testing and tracing, you know, and yes. taking and oh, and yeah. having having the goal of preventing the spread as their primary goal. Mm -hmm. You know, the if the United States had adopted uh, you know, strict testing and tracing protocols back in February, <laughs> probably could have you know that at that time. When there were not many cases, it mm -hmm. could have been, you know, brought under control. But yeah, they've got they've got. You walk into any mall now in the states, and you have to uh, scan a barcode. 
Um, and uh, you walk into a store in the mall, you got to scan a barcode, and then you also are supposed to scan it when you leave the store. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. Um, and if somebody gets sick, you'll hear from them. Hmm. Well, hard to do in hard to do in America. I understand, but some sometimes a little less liberty will keep you alive. Yeah, and it's not that it's there. There are simple. There were simple ways to 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 reduce the spread that I think now with the numbers we've got would no longer are no longer as effective. You're right. Uh, You're right. You know, sad. testing, tracing, wearing a mask all the time. And I went into Target over um, over the weekend oh. and half the people in there were not wearing masks at all. Well, welcome to Arizona, my friend. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's, it's just silly it's crazy did you see some of the did you see some of the um uh uh some of the video off the news shows uh in missouri and florida stupidity yep look like spring break all over again lovely isn't it yeah and the, the cases will be mounting like you won't believe so yep you know in just two months and really in just two months um, because there weren't a lot of deaths by the end of March, but you take April and May, and in two months there's a hundred thousand people dead in the United States. That's you know, that's not only enormous, but the spread was so rapid. Right, right. Um, and, yep. You know, well, and there's still 320 million people that haven't been exposed. Yeah, fantastic. Okay, so uh, uh, let's let's jump back into it. Privacy laws have become a huge focal point. There are laws in both the EU and also California. Now, how does that impact our industry, and do you see more of these laws being passed? Um, Let's start at the last question there. Do I think more are going to be passed? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I think um, there... There are, there are good reasons for them. There mm-hmm. are good reasons for the privacy laws to exist because the information that we're giving out is valuable. It's mm-hmm. you know that that information belongs to the you know belongs to the people. It's mm-hmm. theirs, and companies are using it, um, and a lot of times using it against really against any way that you would want your information used, your, your information being used against you. Yes. And you have no rights to it. You don't. And if you're not told when, you know, when information is being collected, you're not being told how it's being used. Those, you know, those are reasons to have laws to require, you know, require notification, say, we are going to collect this information from you and get Mm -hmm. your permission. And, you know, hmm. make it understood that that information is the customer's. It's like, you know, yep. it's it's like your bank account. Right. It's valuable right. and it should be. And if it's like a, you know, like money in the bank, you expect the bank to protect it and hmm. take care of it and not just use it. Well, and, I, yeah, well, they won't. Uh, it, it, it's not a problem until they get hacked, right? Right. Um, but and if they get hacked, unless there's a law, they're not required to tell you. Mm-hmm. And that you know, that's something you would want to know because if you're 
if your information's been hacked, you can take measures to protect yourself. So there's the California uh, privacy law and the GDPR in the EU, um, I think, are just the beginning. I think I don't think we're going to see laws a lot more extensive than what the GDPR is, mm-hmm. but I think they're going to be a lot more that are modeled after it um, or and very similar. Well, don't you see the U.S. Uh, Congress passing something for the whole country? <laughs> uh, I don't see the U.S. Congress passing it just because they can't. They they just don't have the capacity mm-hmm. or or the moral courage right now to do it. They you mm-hmm. know they right now the U.S. Congress cannot find its ass with both hands. Well, let's see. Oh, let's just uh, let's just see if there's a there's a Democratic Senate uh, come come January. Then maybe it will be a different story. Uh, Yes, but you know there are privacy laws in Canada, Australia, Japan, mm-hmm. um, and I think more more laws w- they will they will start to be they'll start to you see similarities in them. So mm-hmm. that when you when you, if you're compliant with the G, uh, EU GDPR, mm-hmm. then you should be compliant with your other laws. Mm-hmm. So that there's a model, um, right? And GDPR is really extensive, mm-hmm. but and being incredibly fucking long um it it actually if you if you get into it it does it does make sense and it doesn't result in any absurd results or it doesn't have really absurd results sure um of course you know, <laughs> of course of course when we, when we first heard about it everybody freaked out but you know uh i i actually got a i I studied on it and got I got an um, European privacy law certification. Nice. So I thought, you know, I, I can I can talk to it. Yeah. And I was at a trade show over in the EU mm-hmm. speaking to a US lawyer who happened to be over there and I asked him what his opinion was of the GDPR. And he he said, What's that? Huh? Uh, now this was at five o'clock in the afternoon before the before the the dinners the first night. He said, "What's that?" In my my question, the next fucking morning, he was giving a client advice in the in the breakfast at breakfast. He was telling a client, um, giving that client legal advice on GDPR, and this frustrated. It still frustrates me. And he didn't know. And he didn't know what it was. You know, 12 hours before, he did not know what that law was. Well, he must have read it. Morning, <laughs> <laughs> that thing is thousands of pages long. Maybe he's a speed it, reader. It, it took four years. Um, it took four years to pass through the EU Parliament. It is, um, it is comprehensive. And <laughs> you, you know, the, I, I wouldn't feel comfortable giving... a. Um, extensive advice on GDPR, even after getting certified in it. Interesting. It is, you know, in order to to know how to comply with that, you have to get dive down into the specifics of each business. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, you you start with um, for your tech geeks the uh, the data map. The right. you know, if, you're, if you're online, use the data map. What data is being collected at what point um, and where is it being stored and where is it being transferred to who sees it you know right you need to know you need to know where 
data is coming and going in that business mm-hmm. uh, before you can before you can start working on complying with GDPR. Yeah. And I actually think that if you can understand your data map, you can easily comply with GDPR. Okay. But okay. you need to have you need to have someone that knows what they're looking at, and mm-hmm. you need a good coder who also who who can you need a policy person and a code mm-hmm. person, computer code person to work together to mm-hmm. to build a GDPR compliant website. But if you build a GDPR compliant website, you are ninety five percent of the way to um, California compliance. Sure, sure. And you are you're compliant with Canada, um, Australia, Japan, you can easily become compliant with all these privacy laws just mm-hmm. by focusing on becoming compliant with GDPR or an alternative start with the California um, CCCP. Okay. That, you know, start there, focus on that one and mm-hmm. work with your programmers and mm-hmm. you can build a compliant, you can bring your website into compliance because GDPR specifically, boy, the penalties are huge. I know. And, and you know, it's up to 4% of your annual revenue. Yeah. Your annual global revenue. Doesn't matter mm-hmm. if you've got, you know, if it's your, um, let's say you've got a Canadian company mm-hmm. that violated GDPR, but the Canadian company is a um, subsidiary of Globedom. You know, you know, bigger company, they right. take, they can take four percent of your total revenues. And have I would you, expect. Uh, have you uh, heard of any uh, cases where they've actually done that? Not an adult, but they. I just started to start enforcement actions that mm-hmm. uh, were being published right before Corona, mm-hmm. and I, I don't think there has been any. Not that I know of any enforcement mm-hmm. since. January, but I would I would be very surprised if the EU um, enforce you know the individual country enforcement arms mm-hmm. didn't look at that as a revenue source. Oh wow! Um, Don't we all yeah. need it now? Exactly. So- <laughs> and, and who and who is the you know raising taxes is is politically not expedient. Sure. But enforcing privacy law that's supposed uh, to protect consumers, you know what? That sounds like a revenue source that you're not going to get a lot of complaints from constituents. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh. They're so protecting us. They're protecting us. That's what the, that's what they like. So yeah. so for the so for the longest time, 2257 was all anyone talked about. And I know there have been some legal victories for the industry. Is it still a thing? No, and I don't think it ever really was. It was, you know, it was a, it was a, it, it consumed a lot of oxygen in the adult industry. Oh yeah. Uh, but there were only a half a dozen, or maybe a dozen inspections. Um, <laughs> and a shout out to Xbiz, one of at their uh, LA uh, trade show, they mm-hmm. actually brought in the uh, special agent from the FBI who headed one of the inspection teams. Oh, wow. You know, and he gave, he gave a nice presentation. He talked about what they would do. He said, you know, if we, if we come to your door and there's a note on the door that says 
gone, be back in three weeks. He said, you know what, we'll come in three weeks. <laughs> he said, you know, if you if your information, uh, your your um, your address and stuff is is out of date, and we go to this old address, he said, we're the FBI. We know how to find you. <laughs> you know, so he was saying, "Don't don't sweat those little details." Um, and sure. I, you know, again, there was another attorney that was telling, was actually said at one of the seminars that if you had uh, if you had a model release in your two two five seven documents, you could go to jail, mm-hmm. which was horseshit. I mean. Yeah. Even even before talking to uh, with the FBI agent, that was horseshit. That was a very narrow reading of the law, and could only happen in some fantasy land or a law school exam. Yeah. That you know that you could actually be prosecuted and go to jail if you had a, a model release in the same envelope as a two two five seven document. It, huh? it, it was just it was absurd it what he dumb. was telling people. It it was, but uh-huh. he's like, here I am, attorney at law, telling you you can go to jail, and that drives clients to attorneys, telling, getting them can fearful. I, can, can I ask <laughs> you a question on a side from that? I I'm yeah. sure you'll answer diplomatically, being an attorney. Although I know <laughs> knowing knowing Chad, um, it probably won't be that diplomatic. How much of that kind of, and I don't like to use the word malpractice, but it's about the only word I can think of. How much of that do you see out there? Um, not so much lately, mm-hmm. but 2257, there were, and it, actually, there were only a couple attorneys that were selling that fear. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, I, I know. I, I, I'm aware of one of them. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there was, they were they were making it into a bigger boogeyman than it was and yeah you know, yeah some were, some were making it into a business yes and it you know what it wasn't a law that was it was intended or at least in in practice couldn't be used as a primary offense it wouldn't be something that uh, the FBI would say you know what we need to go get this company because they're not keeping 2257 records hmm. the 2257 law it was kind of an ancillary thing that they would tack on if you were doing something else. Okay. You know what? It was, you know, if when I was prosecuting, um, cause I was a County attorney for four years, great fun. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot, sent a lot of bad people to prison and I, and I did not prosecute a lot of people that did not deserve it. Um, yeah. because of, yeah. when the police did not do their job, I didn't, you know, I didn't do it for them and try cop a plea deal, uh-huh. but you know, if you got a drunk driving charge, they would always tack on the speeding and maybe a stop sign violation. And then, you know, because I really wanted that drunk driving charge, I dropped the speeding, dropped the stop sign. Mm-hmm. But that's what 2257 was. It was mm-hmm. basically a type of speeding violation that was never the reason someone got in trouble. Yeah. It was if you were already in trouble, they would add that on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there were very few cases that actually had two two five seven charges, and most of them were engaged in, you know, something super illegal like child pornography or, right. or human trafficking. You know, they're the ones that weren't keeping records because everyone that shoots, every respectable adult entertainment company, you know, makes sure that they've got um, models who are at least eighteen years of old uh, yes. of age. Yes. And 
you know, they're definitely the, the bad apples that, uh, you know, didn't, didn't want to comply with that simple rule. But those were the exceptions. Well, um, those are the people we want out of the business anyway. So, Yeah. And, you know, 2257 didn't do anything to prevent the um, didn't didn't really do anything to prevent the same bad acts that were already taking place. You know, people mm-hmm. that were filming underage, mm-hmm. they were doing it with or without 2257. And the Tracy Lo- and Tracy Lords, who was the whole reason that law was passed, yeah. you know, she was, I think, 16 or 17 when she first started filming and, you know, did a hundred and some movies uh, before she was 18. But she had a valid California driver's license with her name and picture on it. Mm-hmm. So 2257 would not have prevented her from performing because she had that California ID that said she was 18 years old. Oh, it's, oh, it said she was 18. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> yep. Interesting. So basically, basically, she lied about her age to the DMV. Um, that I, I don't know how she had that ID, but... Mm. She had an ID um, that you know that the two two five seven had it been in place at the time would not have prevented her from performing underage. So it was a law chasing a problem, and it didn't fix the problem. Interesting, interesting. Like everything else, it's it's a big news story, and that's how these things end up getting passed. Speaking of which, Fosta Sesta. I know your opinion on it is a bit different than some attorneys I've spoken with. Why don't you tell us your view and who should worry about this? Uh, I think FOSTA-SESTA is uh, also overblown, very similar to the way the, the fear about 2257 was. Okay. Most, most businesses do not have any issue in complying with FOSTA-SESTA. Um, well, I, I, just a question about that. I mean, basically every escort site has either closed down or gone underground or gone offshore. Um, in fact, I know of one site that was uh, an escort site, and they were they were making a lot of money. Like so they were doing like six million dollars a year in business. They employed over a hundred people. And the day FOSTA SESTA passed, they flicked the switch off. So, uh, and he was, and he was complying with with everything. <sighs> yeah, and each each circumstance, it, it's it's so specific to your to your. You know, I, I can't. I guess I can't speak to that situation, but right because each one is specific. More than I think, Fosta Sesta needs individual attention more than two two five seven did. I think two two five seven was pretty easy to be compliant and never have to, and and be able to sleep at night. Fosta Sesta you definitely need to um, make sure that you well make sure you know who you're dealing with, and um, you mean it, in ter- it, you it, mean in in terms of the people who advertise. It means that, yeah, the people that are advertising, the, the escorts on there, um, and you know who's who's using who is using the platform, but to God to shut down a business with that many people in it, that that seems to be a huge overreaction. And there, mm. 
I, I think I, I can't help but think that that if if they were doing everything else right, if they were paying all their taxes in the right places, mm-hmm. um, you know, if they weren't, if they if they were not, well, if there weren't any um, illegal immigrants that were advertising, um, mm-hmm. you know, the the things that would that really piss law enforcement off. Yeah, uh, you know, there, I would think that there's that they could find a way to operate um, a service that that matches customers and escorts. Well, I mean, I mean, from talking to this guy, he not only told me he did everything right, including verifying the mo- the uh, the entertainers, but he also said that he he uh, cooperated with law enforcement on many cases. Huh. Well. Now it's a that one was it's a sad result because mm-hmm. that's I think that's not what the law was intended to do mm-hmm. you know what, and the result was that the the escorts going to much more dangerous ways to meet customers yes yes exactly that and that that's the sad part about it because let's face it prostitution is going to happen okay yes um it's not going away uh, it's, it's quote-unquote, oldest profession, and by by driving it underground, by driving it onto the streets, yeah, you're making the customers uh, less safe, and you're, and you're mainly really making the entertainers less safe. But, okay, so, so today, so today, let's say I open an escort site, I verify all the, all the escorts, um, I, uh, that they're of age, um, mm-hmm. and I open it up right in Main Street, United States of America. Am I doing anything illegal that's, that I'm going to get prosecuted for? Uh, you shouldn't be. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you want to make, you know, if, if the advertisers are not advertising sex for money, that's, um, that's something you're going to have to police and, well, well, what do you mean by that? I mean, obviously they are, okay, but but if they don't say it, it verbatim, um, then again, is that illegal? Well, I think, I guess the best way to to put this is to tell you, you need you as the escort site owner, mm-hmm. you need to give me as your attorney mm-hmm. enough 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 to work with so that uh-huh. I can make the plausible argument yep. that you're not selling sex for money. Hmm. I, you have to give me enough there that I can make that argument believable. Yeah. You know, and if you can do that, hmm. um, I, th- I think that's when you can, you can maintain um, a, a site that, you know, similar to what the escort sites were right. and connect and connect those workers with, their customers. Well, we know but, why yeah. we we know why Backpage went down. There, yeah. there was there was a lot of other things behind it. <laughs> Anyone who hasn't read the articles can go can Google it and and see all yeah. the laws they they broke. Um, well, see, I think that's that's probably the primary reason that most escort sites closed is because mm-hmm. what happened to Backpage. 
They used yes. Backpage as an example and said, this could happen to you. But you know yes. what? If you weren't fucking around with all the other shit that the Backpage people were doing, yep. then no, it's not going to happen to you. Yeah, money laundering can be money laundering and uh, and other things that the site was doing, like uh, moderating it and you know uh, when, when people were advertising underage girls and taking that part out and yeah I think that's I think that's kind of bad so so what other legal issues are affecting our industry right now uh, I think those are the big ones we're, we don't see we don't see obscenity at least I'm not aware of obscenity prosecutions uh-huh. anymore um, I think the biggest, the biggest issue you have to deal with legally isn't isn't complying with the laws. It's complying with what Visa and Mastercard require you to do. Yes, because you know they they aren't lawmakers, but they're rule makers. Mm. They make the rules if you want to use their system. Right. And whatever rule they they decide, that's what you have to live with. And if you can't process Visa Mastercard online, you know you've you've cut off you know, a huge revenue. Or potential revenue stream. So you're, out of, have a, you're out of business, basically, if yep, you can't yep. use MasterCard and Visa. They have you by the balls. You have okay. to comply with what they what they ask, um, and that that is, I think, truly, truly, the focus should be number one: comply with Visa, MasterCard. Mm-hmm. Number two: comply with GDPR. Yep. Um, you get those two down. You really don't have to worry about any other jurisdiction because you are 95% of the way there for everything just by getting those two down. Nice. Um, nice. All right. Well, hey, Chad, it's been it's been a blast as it always is talking to you. I'd like to thank you very much for being on Adult Site Bro- Broker Talk today. I hope to get you back on for a future show. Oh, yeah. We haven't even talked about incorporation. All right. Where to do it. So let's save that for the next one. Sounds good, my man. Take care. All right. Bye. Bye. My broker tip today is part one on how to buy a site. The first question to ask yourself is, what kind of site would you like to buy? Would you like a tube site, a cam site, a dating site, a membership site, a social media site, or something else? If you want to buy a membership site, what type of site do you want and what niche? There are literally hundreds of niches and many sub-niches. For instance, let's say you want to buy a gay site. Under gay, there is bears or mature, bareback, Asian, Latino, amateur, bi, black, euro, and fetish, along with many fetishes under that classification. Plus, there's hardcore, jocks, porn stars, solo, trans, twinks, and uniforms. Straight has even more sub-niches. How you make this decision should be based on these factors. What interests you? What you enjoy should definitely play a part in what you buy. If you like men and want to make money on a straight site, that's probably a really bad idea, assuming you're a guy. Same thing if you're straight and want to buy a gay site. So what you like plays a part. What is your budget? This is something you need to establish at the very beginning. Not only do you need to know what it is you're working with, but some classifications of sites are more expensive than others. For instance, if you want to buy a cam site with any traffic or revenue at all, you will need a lot of money. In fact, to buy any established site will be somewhat expensive. If you buy a site that's pretty much just a platform without traffic or sales, you will need a huge investment to build it up. In that case, it might actually be 
as good or better just to start your own site. That way you get exactly what it is you're looking for. We'll talk about this subject more next week. And next week, we'll be talking to Alex LeConte of Seven Veils. And that's it for this week's Adult Site Broker Talk. I'd once again like to thank my guest, Chad Anderson. Talk to you again next week on Adult Site Broker Talk. I'm Bruce Friedman.